Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And in our ghost box tonight, we have mine and Dave's close friend, Carrie. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And before we get started on this week's episode, of course, let's hear a podcast promo from one of our Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. Welcome. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. My name is Flood, and I am the host of XV Planets, a bi-weekly podcast of the odd and unusual. The core of XV Planets is a documentary-style exploration into paranormal investigations that I and my ever-evolving group of magical misfits conduct. We take a look at the history, the mystery, then go see it for ourselves, and then we bring that experience, and on occasion, that evidence, to your ears. Alongside the investigations, you'll find a treasure trove of other content, like interviews with authors, art historians, mediums, UFO researchers, cryptid hunters, fellow paranormal investigators, as well as deep dives into the arts, exploring topics like the killing joke frontman Jazz Coleman's magical practices and how that propelled the band forward, and whether or not David Lynch was really conducting occult rituals through Twin Peaks The Return. So follow XV Planets today and get caught up on the journey, because I can promise you, it only gets stranger from here. I'll see you on the fifth plane. All right. So for this week, we're kind of doing an astrology part two. Um, we're going to be digging a little deeper into natal charts, not NATO charts, which is what I was calling them all last week. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Let's do some NATO charts. <laughs> yeah, Let's I, not say we didn't. I think NATO needs to do some uh, <laughs> natal charts. <laughs> All right. Instead of sending you to another episode, I'm going to share the brief origins and history of astrology from our episode 74 we did on astrology years ago. Astrology and astronomy were archaically treated together and were only gradually separated in Western 17th century philosophy during the quote unquote Age of Reason. During the latter part of the medieval period, astronomy was treated as the foundation upon which astrology could operate. The origin of astrology dates all the way back to the Sumerians of Mesopotamia. As far back as the 16th century BCE, the priests and priestesses of Mesopotamia recorded the movements of the heavens on their baked clay tablets. These star watchers not only recorded the positions of the sun, moon, and planets, but also cloud formations and other aerial phenomena. 
You see, scholars of that time believed that the heavens warned of the rise and fall of kingdoms and not the destinies of individuals. Eventually, the priests and priestesses began to study the heavens during the birth of the king's own sons and daughters. This started the first step in what became astrology as we know it today. By the 7th century BCE, entire libraries were devoted to what happened under this set of celestial circumstances or that set of celestial circumstances. In fact, by this time, even the interpretations had become standardized. That is until the latter part of the 5th century BCE, when astrologers in Mesopotamia began applying the rules to the birth data of individuals. They began casting what we call horoscopes in our modern world. Astrology reached this point at the same time the armies of Alexander the Great conquered Mesopotamia. The wisdom, philosophy, and traditions from both civilization mixed and mingled. Astrology then spread to the Mediterranean part of the world. The great Greek philosophers studied, learned, and taught astrology. The zodiac was defined by many cultures to include the 12 or 13 symbols or astrological signs, and have remained mostly unchanged to the present day. By the 3rd century CE, the great age of classical philosophy was long past. The Romans still read and studied their teachings. In 244 CE, Plotinus had a unique take on the core questions of philosophy and founded a school. Plotinus was born in Egypt and studied in Alexandria for 11 years with Ammonius, an important Platonist philosopher. Plotinus's teaching started from Plato's basic division between the world of being and the world of becoming, then unfolded them into a more mystical direction. He taught students to use contemplation to commune with the world of being, as well as portrayed the basic patterns of the world of being as intelligent beings. Later generations would identify these beings as the gods and goddesses of pagan pantheons, or the angels and archangels of the emerging but secret Christian religion. Secret Christian religion! Doesn't work as well. No, it doesn't, does it? <laughs> but I'm sure the secret Christian religion has... Secret tunnels! They've got it. <laughs> and secret knowledge! <laughs> In fact, Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan that legalized Christianity and made monks and priests immune from prosecution. In 313 CE, almost 70 years after the time we are talking about, Plotinus also incorporated in his teachings how magic and astrology worked. His revision of Plato's teachings is called Neoplatonism by modern scholars. This is considered by many to be the last great school of philosophy in the classical world. It is also the foundation on which, may, on which most later occultists base their theories and practices. In and around 800 CE, back in Babylon, which after the Muslim conquest was the capital of the Muslim world and now referred to as Baghdad, the pagan religions of Greece and Rome were strictly forbidden. The philosophical and scientific knowledge amassed by them, however, were not. As a result, many branches of occultism were taken up by Arab scholars. Alchemy and astrology were among the surviving knowledge, and a great deal of original work in both branches of occult study was done on them, and all written in Arabic. In the 13th century, around the year 1250, under the reign of King Alfonso X, Many works on occultism were translated from Arabic. The most remarkable was a strange book with the title, Picatrix. Pika Pika. 
The original title was Gayat al-Hakim, which means the goal of the sage, written in the 9th or 10th century by an anonymous Arab wizard who used the alias al-Majriti, who occultists know as a distinguished scholar and mystic. Why King Alfonso's translators chose the name Picatrix is as mysterious as to why they changed the title name to begin with. What made this translation so important was that it was an an encyclopedic manual of magical philosophy and practice, the most comprehensive work on occultism to appear in the Western world. More specific to our purpose here is the focus on astrology. It describes how the heavens themselves were a source of magical power, Ceremonies that were performed when the planets were in certain positions drew down the power of the stars to make marvels or miracles happen on earth. Once it was translated to Latin, the Picatrix became the most notorious sorcerer's manual in the western world, containing ways to create love or hatred, how to heal and how to sicken, how to create and how to destroy. Most magical handbooks of the time borrowed from it. At the end of the Renaissance and the widespread abandonment of occultism, the book fell into obscurity. You can still find it in print today. Its pages are filled with hundreds of talismans, hidden spiritual insights, philosophy explaining the theoretical underpinnings of all the different magical practices it espouses, including the Greek, Egyptian, Indian, and Persian traditions of the Middle East, stretching as far back as the Sumerians, as well as the Hermetic Savants of Haran. The emphasis is on knowledge, how to gain it, and how to use it. The overall theme is that perilous spirits. (laughs) The overall theme is that perilous spirits can either help the magicians or destroy them. That makes more sense. (laughs) Perilous spittle. Perilous spillets. <laughs> perilous spillets. I don't know what a spillet is, but that sounds perilous. In 1322, Cecco Descoli became a professor of astronomy and astrology at the University of Bologna. Sometime before 1327, he wrote a commentary on the De Sfera of John of Sacrobosco. Now, is that an accredited school? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's owned by uh, Oscar. Oscar Mayer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you can take from that knowledge, though. Where'd you get a degree? In the University of Bologna. I think it's the, it was the <laughs> capital of this country at the time. Uh, but this, um, the astronomy text used all over Europe at the time. This commentary was full of references to magic and even included the instructions of how to summon a spirit named Floron into a magical statue. When the clergy read this, they hauled Descali in front of the Inquisition. The Inquisition condemned him for magical practice, and he lost his position as a professor and was barred from teaching. Well, that's baloney. (laughs) (laughs) I just got kicked out of being a teacher at the school of baloney. Well, how do you do it? Do you do white bread, mustard, and American cheese? That's all I would do. Exactly. All right. Right on. <laughs> sounds actually really good. You know, I just it ate sounds absolutely this. disgusting, but oh, dude, that's I how was, we ate them as kids. <laughs> I, I was craving them the other day when bought bologna and cheese and had some bologna. Oh, man, they were so good. I fry mine. Yeah. Fried Dad used to good. fry his all the time, too. Yes. Fry, fry, fried bologna is not bad. Fried spam is not bad, either. 
See, as, as soon as he said Oscar Mayer, I just keep thinking hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not even on bologna. <laughs> you went to the University of Bologna? Yeah. Well, I was a major in uh, deli meats, and I took a minor in hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> the What condiments for a hot dog? Mustard, relish, mustard, onions. Yeah. Mustard, chili, cheese. Okay. I like to deck it out. So we have no ketchup and mayonnaise people here? No. Good. Oh, All uh-uh. right. <laughs> mayonnaise? Uh, I have a friend who does mayonnaise on him. I've tried it. It's it's okay, but I, mustard is like the if I'm gonna have a hot dog and the only th- I can only have one thing on it, it's gonna be mustard. <laughs> it's, a, it's a standard. <laughs> the Oscar Mayer standard <laughs> from the University <laughs> University of Bologna. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> seal of approval is mustard. <laughs> So the Catholic Church at this time dismissed magic as mere superstition, and under church law was only punishable by a minor penance. This all changed in 1327, when Cecco de Scoli found a position as court astrologer to the Duke of Florence. He was brought before the Inquisition again, and at this time he was charged with heresy, the worst crime under canon law. Cecco de Scoli was in fact the first person to be burned at the stake for the practice of magic. The door was now open to the violent persecutions of the coming century. Yay! <laughs> we talked a lot about that here recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, here's a fun little story I found that occurred during these persecutions. Pope Urban VIII issued a papal bull forbidding astrology. This, of course, was a facade because Pope Urban VIII was an astrologer. And in 1628, he worked with a heretic prisoner named Tomasco Campanella, performing rituals to ward off the effects of an eclipse that, according to the Pope's natal chart, would bring about his death. The two worked together, burning incense and reciting incantations from the teachings of the Picatrix and the Corpus Hermeticum. For days on end until the maleficent influence of the eclipse had passed, Pope Urban VIII lived for another 16 years, and Campanella lived out the rest of his life free from any threat of the Inquisition. The Age of Reason I mentioned at the beginning was an intellectual and philosophical movement that dominated the world of ideas in Europe. This can almost be traced exclusively to Isaac Newton with the publication of Principa Mathematica in 1687. This is pretty much when atheist materialistic science started. In regards to astrology, Isaac Newton demonstrated some of the physical processes by which celestial bodies affect each other. In doing so, he showed that the same laws that make, say, an apple fall from a tree also applied to the motions of the celestial sphere. Since then, astronomy has evolved into a completely separate field, where predictions about celestial phenomena are made and tested using the scientific method. While the Age of Reason did foster the end to some very horrific things like the witch trials, it also put doubt into the existence of anything that could not be proven by the sciences. But also during this period lived a man named William Lilly, and he might just be the reason astrology didn't fade into obscurity after its separation from astronomy during the Age of Reason. <clears throat> William Lilly published Christian Astrology in 1647, the first textbook of astrology written in English instead of Latin. 
Within half a century of its publication, the rationalist science of the Age of Reason had seized the imagination of the Western world, and occultism dropped out of fashion. The traditions that did survive did so primarily by folk practitioners that did not know Latin. Because the knowledge of astrology was available to anyone that was literate in English, this book went on to be the standard textbook for aspiring astrologists until well into the 19th century, when the astrological revival burst onto the scene. That's a revival I would go to. One of the most influential orders concerning astrology, among other occult teachings, was the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Founded in 1887 by William Wynne Westcott and Samuel Mathers. Mathers. (laughs) Westcott was part of the esoteric section of Madame Blavatsky's Theosophical Society, the half dozen or so that she could pass knowledge on to which could not be published, in order for her to die happy. Members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn included the Nobel Prize-winning poet William Butler Yeats. Yeats. They studied Kabbalah, uh, with a Q, ceremonial magic, tarot, divination, astrology, and alchemy. The order split into three fragments during a series of political crises between 1900 and 1903, during the time Aleister Crowley was a member of it. Mr. Crowley! Bum, 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 bum. Then these fragments split into more shards by the 1930s. In 1914, astrology was put on trial in the New York State Court in the form of Evangeline Adams, an astrologer who specialized in birth charts and published a few books on the subject of astrology towards the end of her life. I have a fun fact. Aleister Crowley actually ghost-wrote her books on astrology, but Adams is an acknowledged contributor to Crowley's own astrological text, The Practice of Astrology. Adam's clientele included some of the richest and most influential people in New York, including J.P. Morgan. She was charged with fortune-telling under New York state law. For her defense, she requested the judge provide her with the birth daddy of a person he knew and that she did not. She then interpreted the person's birth chart right there in the court. The reading she gave was an accurate description of the personality of the judge's own son. The judge was very impressed and ruled that astrology could no longer be prosecuted as fortune-telling. It took years before other jurisdictions made similar rulings, but by the mid-20th century, astrologers were free to practice their art undisturbed by not only the church, but also the judicial systems across most of the Western world. Unfortunately, I think it's illegal again under New York law in most jurisdictions unless one says it's for entertainment purposes. The main focus of astrology during that period was natal astrology, or in other words, the astrology of an individual's birth chart. Around the middle of the 20th century, astrology swung away from the focus of the individual and manifested itself into the basic 12 zodiac star signs in the form of very general horoscopes, that were published in newspapers across the world. This is unfortunately what the majority of people think of when they think of astrology these days. Yeah, up until, well, I had a friend who was really big into astrology and she had me reading about astrology. And once she introduced me to birth charts, I was like, oh, wow, there is a whole lot more to this than just, you know, 
what your what your sun sign says about you. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Oh, absolutely. Now I'm somewhat new to modern natal astrology. I'm more into electional astrology and Western medieval Renaissance astrology, also called traditional astrology. Um, the stuff from the Picatrix I was talking about and Agrippa's three books of occult philosophy, which contains the astrological information from Picatrix, but in a more ordered way. However, I picked up a book a while ago titled The Secret Language of Astrology, The Illustrated Key to Unlocking the Secrets of the Stars by Roy Galay. Additionally, I have some notes from things I've picked up from others and from websites like astro-seek.com and cafeastrology.com, which was recommended by a friend. In a basic sense, the planets can reveal to us what is happening. The zodiac signs reveal to us how it is happening. The houses reveal where it is happening. Altogether, this is a deep and powerful divination tool. But like all divination tools, it doesn't and shouldn't rule the life. It should only inform or misinform. If you want to follow along as we go through this, um, you can get your own birth chart pulled up. You can go to um, astro-seek.com or Cafe Astrology um, and get your birth charts pulled up so you can follow along with your own birth chart as we go through this because it's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, and you can pull them up for free from either of those without even having to like make an account or give them an email address or anything. And you don't have to know your birth times, but it'll give you a little bit more in-depth if you do. So. Yeah, if you want an accurate chart, yeah, you'll need to know the exact time. We specifically ordered... Uh, First certificates to get Dave and Chad's. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's begin with the ascendant. The ascendant sign is the constellation that is in the eastern sky at any moment in a birth chart, also called a natal chart. This would be the moment you were born. The ascendant sign changes every couple hours, which is why it is very important to know the exact time you were born to have an accurate chart. If you don't know, you can still get information and insight into what planets are in what sign, but the houses won't be accurate. From the moment of birth and from the ascendant sign, the houses will start and go counterclockwise from 1 to 12. The zodiac signs also start from the ascendant and go counterclockwise as well. The ascendant is also called the rising sign. It's thought to be a major factor in shaping and defining one's attitude, first impressions, appearance, and demeanor. It is your social personality, your physical body and outward style. Your rising sign may determine the way others see you and what you might expect from the world around you. Some astrologers refer to the rising sign as the mask people wear. I am a Scorpio rising. I am a Leo rising. I'm a Pisces. I'm a Leo rising. Now, funny thing about this one, if Chad would have been born three minutes later, he would have been an Aries rising. (laughs) In a general sense, if your rising sign is in an air sign, Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius, you may be mentally quick, inquisitive, friendly, and prefer to express yourself verbally. You may often approach life with a desire to understand the meaning of what or whom you encounter. And that includes being intentional with your movement. In a general sense, if your rising sign is in a fire sign, Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius, you may be action-oriented. 
confident and often blunt. You may often have great vitality and physical energy, especially when striving to make your mark in the world. In a general sense, if your rising sign is in an earth sign, Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, you may be matter-of-fact and tend to focus on the material world. You may often have a steadfast approach to life that can be a grounding force for many. In a general sense, if your rising sign is in a water sign, Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, you may be sensitive, empathetic, and easily influenced by your environment. You may often have an approach to life that is deeply rooted in your emotional body. But all parts of the chart are connected to each other in various ways. Let's look at the planets first. The Sun, the great creator, rules Leo in the fifth house. The Sun is symbolized by a circle with a dot in it. The Sun is your identity and ego, the bright light that you radiate out into the world. The Sun sign is how you answer the question, I am. It represents the vital force that drives you towards expressing your true self, often viewed as how we create, not just artistically, but also in terms of having fun, experiencing pleasure, and bringing pleasure to others. The sun may also blind us to the interests and experiences of others, blind us to our own achievements, and at times our own best interests. The sun spends about a month in each of the 12 zodiac signs. And if you're familiar with basic astrology, your sun sign or star sign is what is divined in website, magazines, and if it's still a thing, newspaper horoscopes. Now, if you're born on the 20th, 21st, or 22nd of any month, your star sign may not be accurate as what these tell you. Every four years, we add an extra day to the calendar called Leap Day to make up time. And if you're familiar with how the equinoxes and solstices rotate between the 20th, 21st, and 22nd, you know what I'm talking about. These solar events are determined by the sun's placement as it goes through the signs. The spring equinox is when it transits into Aries. Summer solstice is when it transits into Cancer, and so on. In other words, even if the general horoscopes have said you were a sign and your birth date is the 20th, 21st, or 22nd of any month, you may have your sun sign in one of the other signs next to it. Now, I have a sun sign in Aries. And my sun sign is in Cancer. Mine's Leo. I have a sun in Pisces. If your sun is an air sign, Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius, you may love to express... You may, you may love to express yourself intellectually and often recharge in social settings. If your sun sign is a fire sign, Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius, you may be motivated by inspirations and aspirations and recharge through physical activity and by pursuing your goals. If your sun is in an earth sign, Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, you may be motivated by material needs and practicality, and recharge through working with the physical world, being productive, and feeding your senses. If your sun sign is a water sign, Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, you may be motivated by deep emotional desires and recharge through emotional experiences and intimate involvement with people. Now, when this piece is placed within a chart and the interactions it experiences, 
you start to see why these general traits apply or don't apply to you, the individual, in your own identity. I have to make an interjection as a cancer. My recharge is when I'm around no human being whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll see why later. (laughs) The moon, the ruler of the night, rules cancer in the fourth house. Moon is symbolized by a crescent moon. The moon is the subconscious side of yourself that you keep hidden, but is the driving force behind emotional reactions. The moon sign is how you nurture and restore yourself. It reveals our emotional disposition and our intuition, how we feel, how we react. It shows us how we like to be treated and how we treat other people. Strongly placed in the nadir chart, we are likely to act protectively and defensively until we feel safe. When we consider the moon in the zodiac sign that appears on our natal chart, our way of reassuring others becomes clear as the way we wish them to reassure us. Because it reflects the sun, it is the energy of reflection. The moon moves fast and spends about two and a half days in each zodiac sign, taking 28 days to cycle through them. The sign the moon is in gives some insights in how we react. It's linked to how we feel when we are most aligned with our inner self and how we react protectively and defensively with change. I have a moon sign in Gemini. And I am an Aries. I'm a Cancer. I'm a Scorpio. If your moon is in an air sign, Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius, you may react to changing experiences with discernment and objective evaluation. You feel most aligned with your inner self when expressing ideas and interacting socially. If your moon is in a fire sign, Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius, you may react to changing experiences with direct action and excitement. You might feel most aligned with your inner self when expressing confidence, ditching the negative self-talk, and showing strength. If your moon is in an earth sign, Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, you You may react to changing experiences with steadiness and stability. You feel most aligned with your inner world when being productive and working towards a goal. If your moon is in a water sign, Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, you may react to changing experiences with sensitivity and emotion. You feel most aligned with your inner self when feelings are deeply involved. Mercury, Messenger of the Gods rules Gemini and Virgo, and the third and sixth houses. Mercury is symbolized by a circle with a half circle above and a lowercase t below. Mercury is the planet of communication, quick wit, quick thinking, possibilities, opinions, reasoning, and rationality. This planet prompts the movement of one thing to the next. Mercury can only be in the same sign as your sun sign, or the one on either side of it. If it is in your sun sign, you communicate pretty much what you feel and what you mean. If it's in a different sign, this is where problems with communication can happen. In our natal charts, it reveals our way of thinking, writing, and speaking, and the other means by which we present ourselves to those about us. Our bright smile or worried frown, our tidy or untidy writing style, 
our way of making contact, and how we learn. Mercury spends about 14 days in each sign and experiences three to four retrogrades in each year, lasting about three weeks. Because of this, Mercury can spend upwards of 60 days in a single sign. Now is probably a great time to talk about retrogrades as they pertain to the natal chart. The term retrograde means appearing to move backwards. That isn't the planet moving backwards. It has to do with the perception from where we are on Earth. It's an illusion, really. Some astrologers posit when a planet is retrograde in the natal chart, its energies are turned inward. They're often felt more strongly, but there is something about the planet's energies that the person keeps hidden or undercover. There can be shyness, discomfort, or awkwardness expressing the planetary's energy directly or overtly. Sometimes there is denial, something lacking or something missing in early childhood or environment. When Mercury is retrograde at birth, the thinking processes are generally more acute and the sense of humor rather quirky. People with Mercury retrograde take in information differently than those with Mercury direct in their natal charts. Mercury is the energy of intelligence. Mercury can give some insight in how we learn best and how we try to teach or share ideas with others. I have my Mercury in Taurus. I'm back in Leo. Virgo. Aquarius. If your Mercury is in an air sign, Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius, you may learn best by having things spoken to you. That is my problem. Is it? (laughs) If your Mercury is in a fire sign, Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius, you may learn best with rapid explanation and action-orientated learning. Yep. If your Mercury is in an Earth sign, Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, you may learn best when feelings and emotions are involved. If your Mercury is in a water sign, Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, you may learn best by hands-on learning. I do have to say that I I learn that I'm a mix of all, all three. I am definitely a you tell me and you show me and then you let me do it. Yeah. Like, I will have it down pat as soon as I, I am allowed to do it. I'm a hands-on learner. But I, um, I got to be told how to do it, shown how to do it, and then let me do it. Now, okay. my, my, mine's pretty spot on when feelings or emotions are involved, but I also don't have any aspects with my Mercury either. Yeah. Isn't your Mercury in retrograde, too? No. No, it wasn't? Okay. No. It's definitely not in my sun sign, and I do tend to communicate poorly at times. <laughs> I, I mean we all have issues with that from time to time too but yeah i think all of us don't have it in the sun sign mine's in my rising yeah yeah it is fascinating does that mean other people perceive me as a good communicator maybe yes they do <laughs> Chad's like no no I think it's just because I don't need to communicate with you by words. Yeah, I can just, just think it. Just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, they, they do share a brain. <laughs> Venus, goddess of love, rules Taurus and Libra, and the second and seventh houses. Venus is symbolized by a circle with a lowercase t underneath it. Venus concerns love, romance, harmony, marriages, friendships, and unions. 
Venus can also give some insight into the pleasure we derive from luxuries and our attitudes towards money. It concerns sensual but not necessarily sexual influence. Venus shows our passions, how intensely we are attracted towards experiences, possessions, and people. Its position indicates how and when we fall in love. It also reveals who and what we value and how we express that appreciation. Venus spends about 30 days in each sign, taking one year to cycle through them, and experiences a 40-day retrograde every 18 months. When Venus is retrograde at birth, the feeling nature is deep. Socializing is taken seriously and rather lightly. They can be somewhat shy in youth, as there can be an awkwardness felt concerning small talk and social graces and an aversion for superficialities. Love is extremely important to a person with a retrograde Venus, but they may not be explicit about it enough for others to know just how deeply they can love. Venus is the energy of pleasure and can give us insight into how we love. I have my Venus in Gemini. You're a bipolar lover. Uh, Mine is in Leo still. I'm a Leo as well. Aries. If your Venus is in an air sign, Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius, you may consider communication to be the key ingredient in relationships. You may respond most lovingly to verbal expressions of interest and affection. Sharing thoughts can be the most essential part of a relationship. If your Venus is in a fire sign, Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius... You may express love by doing active things with others, such as going on walks, dancing, shopping, playing games, any activity really. They might express love by sharing adventures with you. I kind of disagree with this one. Yeah, yeah. That's like me dead on. <laughs> I was going to say that, I mean, Dave and I, we had Thursday off together and we went shopping and oh yeah, it was fun. I mean, our, we spent our honeymoon playing video games. Like, <laughs> yeah, and we play a lot of board games and stuff. I'm a Netflix and chill kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was yours? Yours was well, that's still Aries. an activity. Aries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if your Venus is in an earth sign, Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, you may express love physically and sensually. They are generally very reliable. You may be able to count on them for favors. They might stand by your side physically, but perhaps not emotionally or mentally. They might be able to support you financially. They can be admirable for their ability to commit themselves. And they may feel most love with physical proof of commitment. If your Venus is a water sign, carry, uh, <coughs> Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, you may experience love emotionally, deeply, seriously, and soulfully. They don't necessarily use words. They may just create moments of deep feeling between you. They are imaginative. If they like you, they may fantasize about you for some time before approaching you. They can be sympathetic to your feelings. Rather than being emotionally expressive like fire signs, they tend to be emotionally receptive. Verbal expressions of affection might be less important to them than the exchange of feelings. Mars, god of war, 
rules Aries and Scorpio in the first and eighth houses. Mars is symbolized by a circle with an arrow protruding out of it, upwards and to the right. Mars focuses on energy, passion, drive, determination, ambition, competition, confidence, expression, and power. While Venus rules our love, Mars rules our sexual energy and sexuality. It also governs weapons, accidents, and surgery. Mars' position indicates the nature and strength of the way we act, whether we address challenges or avoid them, whether we work with or around what confronts us in life, whether we display courage and confidence, or an inclination to dissemble. Whether we respond quickly or slowly, Mars invites us to examine whether we are diplomats or warriors, and what kind of behavior and role models we follow. Mars spins about six to seven weeks in each sign, taking about two years to cycle through them, and experiences a retrograde every two years, which lasts from two to two and a half months. Having Mars in retrograde in your natal chart can mean standing up for yourself or asserting yourself may be a challenge, as it can stimulate fears of being ineffective. There might often be roundabout ways of going after your desires. The desire nature runs deep, but is often misunderstood by others. Mars is the energy of force and can give us insight into how we act. I have my Mars in Taurus. My Mars is in rulership with Scorpio. Mine's a Taurus. Aries. If your Mars is in an air sign, Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius... You might generally have many interests and drives. You could be especially clever about getting what you want. Unlike Mars in fire, Mars in air natives are quite capable of adopting airs and tactics to get and do the things they want. If your Mars is in a fire sign, Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius, you may generally be quite passionate. When you get angry, those around you generally know it. There's very little pretension with this position of Mars. You might very much like to get what you want and may not be that quiet about it. If your Mars is in an Earth sign, Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, you may rarely be aggressive, but absolutely are determined as an individual. Your goals in life may often be quite practical, Ones that are realistic and attainable. You might even get up in the morning with the idea that you're going to work for what you want in life. If your Mars is in a water sign, Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, you may be generally quite adept at strategy. These can be emotional and instinctual people. They are unlikely to be directly aggressive about getting what they want in life. They might feel their way through life, Feelings and actions do work in tandem. I can't say I agree with this one so much. Yeah, I'm There's got to be something that interferes with that one. Um, I agreed more with this one than the last one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe I've got something that kind of pulls off, because first of all, I am not a strategic person whatsoever. Um, now the emotional and instinctual people, yes. Uh, I can be pretty aggressive from time to time. 
Now, what's really interesting about your chart, Carrie, is that your Venus and your Mars are um, conjunct with each other. That means they work kind of in tandem together, which can kind of explain why you were talking about earlier. It's you love a little more aggressively than what this was saying. And see, mine is got the it's at what's it called when it's, it's square with uh, with your Mercury. Mercury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's what causes a it to be a little bit off there. I mean, it's not 100% off, but it's... I didn't feel with this one like I had the other ones. Right, right. Jupiter, king of the gods, rules Sagittarius and Pisces in the ninth and twelfth houses. Jupiter is symbolized by what looks like a fancy number four. (laughs) (laughs) Peasants. Or maybe kind of like a... 21 or a 2 with a dash down it. I see like a 24, like it's all connected in like a... Oh, yeah. Like a, It would be like a I logo. I see an Elvis for, 4. An El- <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Elvish. Like you see an Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> yes. A 4 with an Elvis. Ain't nothing but a hound dog. Yeah. <laughs> but Jupiter is the guardian of the abstract mind and it rules higher learning, exploring intellectual and spiritual ideas, It assists in formulating our ideology and lords over religions and philosophies. Good luck and fortune, or luck and good fortune, are associated with Jupiter. Good luck and fortune? What what, what sign needs that? (laughs) (laughs) And our successes, accomplishments, and prosperity are within its realm. Jupiter offers us opportunities to overcome problems and barriers. This opportunity may come in the form of knowledge, reassurance, a helping hand, or even resources. The position of Jupiter shows us where we can be generous. A well-placed Jupiter can help us to advise and support others in liberating ways. Jupiter spends about 12 to 13 months in each sign, taking about 12 years to cycle through them and experiences a retrograde every nine months or so that lasts for around four months. People born with Jupiter retrograde in their natal charts tend to have different or unusual perspectives, belief systems, or sets of morals. They prefer to learn from their own experiences and reactions to them rather than from others. Now, all of the outer planets were in retrograde when I was born. Uh, Jupiter is the energy of generosity, and can give us insight into how we expand. I have my Jupiter in retrograde in rulership in Sagittarius. My Jupiter is in retrograde in Capricorn. Mine's exalted in Cancer. I have rulership in Sagittarius. (laughs) If your Jupiter is in an air sign, Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius... Um, you may be knowledgeable and delight in sharing or passing on what you know. Technically minded with an affinity for gadgetry and machinery, these individuals are masters of technology and the mental realm. Positive energy is created through the exploration of new ideas and concepts. If your Jupiter is in a fire sign, Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius, this may offer gifts of confidence charm, and enthusiasm. 
These people are typically active in the world and often take a leadership role. They are the pioneers of the Zodiac, those who move into new territory first and light the way for others to follow. Healthy risk-taking is to be encouraged, and the search for new experiences dominates. If your Jupiter is in an Earth sign, Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, this might bring gifts of practicality and groundedness. Um, they might be individuals who are typically authentic and dependable, solid, loyal, and hardworking. Financial success comes easily though sometimes their optimism is dampened by the rub of reality or a melancholic attitude. The rub of reality, eh? <laughs> Rub-a-dub-dub. <laughs> Hard work leads to opportunity, and connecting with the natural world has a restorative influence. Sensory experiences are particularly stimulating. Especially them rub-a-dub-dubs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. If your Jupiter is a water sign, Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces, you have the potential of offering gifts of love, healing, and emotion. Family ties and close relationships may be everything to this group. They are compassionate, giving and caring with a sensitivity that seems psychic. Generous to a fault, nothing is too much for loved ones or family members. Expressing their healing, caring, or soulful side is important to them. Showing sensitivity to others leads to opportunities. Personal intuition is strong, and developing skills or rituals that support the exploration of their dreams and hunches can be very beneficial. Sound like you, Chad? Yeah, it's pretty dead on. I see Chad over there like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> See me with the sorcery. With the sorcery? Yes, the sorcery. The sorcerer's stone? You had the sorcerer's stone all along? Financial success. I'm waiting for that one to happen. Um, That just means you might have the potential for it. (laughs) (laughs) The sensory experience did crack me up, though, because I remember the last time I um, partook partook in some uh, Mary Jane, I spent the entire podcast sitting here rubbing my pant legs because I was just (laughs) so amazed with the way my pants felt. (laughs) 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 But I also am really big on like ASMR and... Things like that. So you are. Yeah. And textures and sounds play a big role in how I feel. So I think that's interesting. You know, it stood out to me the most was because my Jupiter is retrograde and I definitely have very different perspectives and belief systems. Me too. And mine's in retrograde. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if we covered this or not. What does the exalted have to do with? We haven't covered Exalted. Oh, we will get to that. Okay. It's a little complicated. Put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> You're complicated, Jen. Yeah, well, I know that. But Exalted is like a step down from rulership. The exaltation. Saturn, god of the world and time, rules Capricorn and Aquarius and the 10th and 11th houses. Saturn is symbolized by what looks like a lowercase h with a dash across the top, and in some renderings, kind of like a fancy number five. Saturn commands us to work, and work hard. Ruling discipline, 
responsibility, time management. As a teacher, it teaches life lessons and an air of conventionality and wisdom. It praises our perseverance and our ability to stand the test of time. Structure, order, and how we conduct our affairs are ruled by this planet. Saturn indicates where problems, restrictions, and barriers are likely in our lives and confronts us with the reality of impermanence. It can also show us how to strengthen our endeavors and make them more sustainable. Saturn spends about two and a half years in each sign, taking around 29 years to cycle through them, and experiences a retrograde in each year. Saturn's return every 30 years or so could be synced with what we call midlife crisis. There can be more than unusual experiences of guilt and self-doubt when Saturn is retrograde in a birth chart. Fears are internalized and they might put on a brave front so that others don't see them as vulnerable. There can also be a strong fear of letting others down or not fulfilling their responsibilities. Saturn is the energy of structure and can give us insight into how we control. Now I have my Saturn in retrograde in Scorpio. I am the only unretrograded one and I am in Scorpio as well. I'm a Capricorn. In retrograde. Sure, it doesn't say that, but... No, yeah. you are. I have Scorpio in retrograde. <laughs> yeah, so it must have just come out of retrograde when I was born. Because if it's every four, six years, mm-hmm. and you guys were born a year before me, so... Yeah, it does uh, Yeah, anywhere from two to three retrogrades in its cycle, that two and a half year cycle between them. Um. Yeah, me and Carrie, we were born like three weeks apart. Or I was born the fourth of March. I was I was early though. I was supposed to be due on March twentieth, okay. and I was April sixteenth. So so a month and a few weeks. Yeah. So a lot of our outer planets are just right in right in line with each other. And then me, I held on. I was supposed to be born June twenty fourth, and I wasn't born until July nineteenth. <laughs> <laughs> My poor mama had to go through a summer with a 10-month pregnancy. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Now, the next three I know only a little about because they are found in modern astrology, but they are linked to long-term cycles. Uranus, god of the sky, rules Aquarius in the 11th house. Uranus is symbolized by either a circle with a dot in the center with an arrow protruding out the top, or sometimes as an upside-down Venus with two crescents on the end of the arms. Maybe it looks like an antenna. It looks like a Star Wars... F- what are they? The TIE little, Fighter. Like the a tie, TIE Fighter. fighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see it. Be this little green one right here. <laughs> now, Uranus has come to represent the creative power of human will. New inventions, theories, discoveries, and relationships... Its dynamic possibilities are sudden, exciting, earth-shattering, and sometimes dangerous. Uranus rules our inventive side and shows our relationship with freedom and innovation, like new technology, and whether we accept or question conventional attitudes. Uranus spends about seven years in each sign, taking 84 years to cycle through them. 
and it experiences a five-month retrograde in each year. Uranus retrograde can point to a fear of change or a latent mistrust of new technologies or improvements. These people might hide their eccentricities, while those with Uranus direct are more inclined to flaunt them, or at least to be proud of them. Uranus is the energy of awakening and sudden change. It can give us some insight into how we invent. Fun fact. In the 1440s, when printing was first demonstrated, Uranus was in the sign of Gemini. In the 1940s, Uranus was also in Gemini when the electronic computer was invented. Now I have my Uranus in retrograde in Sagittarius. And how long did it take me before I finally broke down and got a smartphone? Oh, God. (laughs) I was already on like my... I'd already gone through a Blackberry and two Samsung smartphones before you got your Samsung one. I think I was on Samsung... I think I was on an S like four when you finally used my old S1. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll give this government tracking thing a whirl. But that's funny because I'm also in <clears throat> retrograde Sag, and yeah, I I tend to try to stay on top with technology. So, although I did work with a laptop that was how old before I finally upgraded. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. You're also retrograde. Again. Sagittarius, non-retrograde. I think yeah. it just means we, for you and me, we just wait till we have to upgrade to something else. That is very much my like mindset. When my phone no longer works, then I will upgrade. So I may be going like two or three generations yeah. ahead. But yeah, like I said, Dave. Dave had a Nokia <laughs> brick. Yeah, we got married in '05, and it was <laughs> our first anniversary. I upgraded your phone, and it just wasn't a Nokia. It was still just a phone, and you were so mad at me because you didn't want to have to. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, I don't have to learn something new. <laughs> yeah. I don't want this thing to break. I've had this brick here for like. <laughs> I'll never forget that because I was like, oh, because this other one was duct taped together. But it was um, a brick. So, I mean, those things, you could drop them off of a 10 story building and they'd still work just fine. And uh, yeah, his was all duct taped together. And finally. Finally, I was it was electric tape. Electric tape. My bad. <laughs> I don't trust duct tape. <laughs> it's a government duct tape. Hundred mile an hour tape. <laughs> okay, Neptune, god of the sea, rules Pisces in the twelfth house. Neptune is symbolized by a trident. Neptune is thought to rule the seas of our subconscious selves. This can inspire us to produce art, music, literature, and other forms of creativity. It symbolizes uncertainty about assumptions and the undermining and remolding of beliefs. Neptune's cycle through the signs is not completed during our current single human lifespan, so it is associated with experiences that may be new and uncertain. To help us cope where we may feel adrift in a sea of intemperance, many of us turn to religion, political or social idealism, creative arts, hero worship, fashion, or drugs and alcohol. 
In a natal chart, it is vital to avoid the attachment of dependence that come from putting ourselves first. Neptune spends about 14 years in each sign, taking about 164 years to cycle through them, and experiences a five-month retrograde in each year. This 14-year transit through zodiac signs has led many to correspond Neptune with the fashions, assumptions, and general beliefs of a generation. It experiences a six-month retrograde in each year. Many people have referred to this current Neptune transit as a global spiritual awakening. Neptune entered Pisces, where it has its rulership back in 2011, and will go into Aries in May of 2025, retrograde back into Pisces starting in November of 2025, then carry on forward until it enters Taurus in 2038. Those born with Neptune retrograde in their chart might tend to hide their vulnerabilities, their spiritual side, or their compassion, as they feel somewhat uncomfortable expressing them. These things can very well exist, and they run deep, but Neptune retrograde natives prefer to keep things private. Neptune is the energy of the mysterious, and it can offer us some insight into how we inspire. I have my Neptune in retrograde in Sagittarius. Me too. Retrograde Sag here. Capricorn. Retrograde. Retrograde, of course. <laughs> I'm in Sagittarius. No retrograde. Yeah, what really called to me on this one was, like, I kept a lot of my spiritual side hidden for a yeah. long time. Yeah. I still do to an extent. But not I do much. with real people. I mean, not that our listeners are not real people. Uh, but like people you see on like work, that, yeah. at work and stuff like it's that. only like my close friends that really know like yeah. my depth of my my spiritual side and all that. Yeah, so. that's how I am. Well, we're also in the Bible Belt. We are, so it's dangerous sometimes to. And most people are wrapped up in that hero worship with a certain person. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I saw a certain person's hat the other day when we were in a thrift store, and I was like. Ugh. But, um, you should set it on fire. We've got so much fire in our yeah. Just look cards. at it; and just bursts into flames. Hell yeah! Um, Feels like me when I'm at church. Yeah, it's kind of dangerous to come out of the broom closet here in Oklahoma. So I like to stay nice and tight in my broom closet. Pluto, god of the underworld, rules rules Scorpio in the eighth house. The man on a pogo stick. Or his dick. I think it sounds like it looks like a man doing the splits in the air and using his dick as his balancing beam. See, I think it looks like a ball in a cup that has a hilt on the handle. <laughs> well, unfortunately, your Mars isn't in Scorpio, so you don't see things in. <laughs> <laughs> Tis true. Now, sometimes it's symbolized as like an underlying letter P. Mm. Which makes it a lot easier to see what it is. Cause now, Pluto helps us face our subconscious fears. With Pluto in each zodiac sign for a generation, we often surrender to that period's excess, as though it would be there forever. When it does change, often we are left with major problems to sort out. Right now it's in Capricorn, but in April of 2023, it enters Aquarius and starts bouncing back and forth between those two, until November of 2025. 
Pluto did the same between Libra and Scorpio in 1983 and 1984, when three of us were born, between Scorpio and Sagittarius throughout 1995, then between Sagittarius and Capricorn throughout 2008. So Chad was involved in that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the Scorpio one. Now, Pluto's natal chart position shows us our individual vulnerabilities. It tests whether our fears are valid and how long the dangers we may face will last. In turn, this can give insight into which ways we can be courageous and successful. Pluto spends anywhere from 14 to 30 years in each sign, taking 248 years to cycle through them. The planet of transformations, death, and rebirth last entered Aquarius in 1777. Revolution? Yeah, during the revolution. Uh oh. <laughs> Pluto experiences a. Are we going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, I think Lincoln was an Aquarius. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Don't quote me. Pluto experiences a retrograde every year, which lasts five to six months. During these retrogrades, Pluto recovers approximately only three degrees of the 30 degrees of each sign. Overall, Pluto spends about 40% of its time in retrograde. People with Pluto retrograde in their birth charts may be more inclined to fear or being controlled, manipulated, or betrayed by others than those with Pluto direct. There may be a tendency to keep these fears to themselves, as exposing them makes them feel more vulnerable. They don't as readily let others know their desire for power or control, and might not be in touch with this desire a lot of the time. If you think of it as above, so below, Pluto being the furthest planet can tell us about some of our deepest traits buried in our subconscious, which we may or may not be aware of, depending if the sun or ego and conscious is blinding us from it. I'm getting a little into Jungian psychology here. But Pluto is the energy of death and rebirth, and it can give us some insight into how we transform. I had my Pluto in retrograde in Libra. And my Pluto is direct in Libra. Mine's retrograded in Scorpio. No, his is rulership in Scorpio. Oh, it ah, is. See? Ha. Huh. Mine's just in Scorpio. Sorry. <laughs> I retrograde in Libra. <laughs> now that we know something of the planets and what is happening, let's take a deeper look at the signs and see how it's happening. If the planets are the archetypes of ourself or the characters of our life story, the signs sort of tell how they go about expressing their qualities in ourselves and the outside world. And we'll get into that in next week's episode. On the next episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy. And according to legend. Yeah. Kamehameha. Yeah. Ah, ah, <laughs> so, so far I feel like most of those fit with me. Like, there were a few where I wasn't like, yeah, that's spot on, but... All of I these play the together. So only one that made me just go, eh, not really. But I think the other ones are all pretty spot on. Yeah, I only had that one, and I was like, "There's got to be something that's yeah. influencing it somewhere because it wasn't, it wasn't completely off, but it didn't 
sit completely with me at the same time. Mm. So you had five five air, three water, and one one air and one earth. I had five fire. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, I had five earth and only two fire. Yeah, and, and more. I had more earth and water than I did fire, and I, I kind of expected a lot more fire. You see, I've got two. What is Libra's Libra's air, or is he Libra Earth? Libra's air. Libra's air. Yeah. yeah. So I've got. Yeah. One air, one earth, yeah, and then everything else is fire and I had water. Zero earth or zero air. I had five fire, three water, and two air. <laughs> I make a lot of steam. <laughs> right. I make a lot of mud, which then I put in the kilt and it hardens. I'm kind of like <laughs> with my air and my earth and then my fire and my water, I'm kind of like one of those um hot springs. You know, like <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> the sulfuric ones, though, because that makes the air poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll do it for this week's episode. Like I said, we'll get into the um, zodiac signs more next week. This might end up being a three-parter. We're going to see if we can condense it into two. But there's a lot of information here, and we wanted it to be informative so that you can follow along with your own chart and you can learn something about yourself. Because mm-hmm. it's always good to learn about yourself or somebody else. Um, I'd like to do this for our kids to see if I can understand them a little bit better sometimes. Oh, um, yeah. Sometimes just kind of the inside of knowing can yeah. kind of help things go better. Knowledge is power. The more you know. Are there any other 80s and 90s PSAs that... <laughs> Only you can prevent forest fires. (laughs) Reading Rainbow. Give a hoot, don't play. (laughs) I was just about to say that. (laughs) Mine are very environmental. (laughs) Now I'm thinking of of the the guy with the tears picking up the trash. Oh, yeah. Captain Planet. He's our hero. Earth, Wind, and Fire. No, that's a a band. That's a band. Earth, fire, air, and water. When their powers combined, we get Captain Planet. <laughs> All right. So be sure to go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Or no, we don't really do Twitter. You can go to Twitter. We're on Twitter. We don't do Twitter. Uh, <laughs> you can go to Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. I'll let you in normalcy. Uh, also, check out the Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows, Faith Blind Council, Smuts Up, Blocks Occult, Ad Hoc History, Administrism, XV Planus, Primordia, and Grognostics. Uh, check them all out. They're great shows, great people. Um, you can also use the link in our description for Parabox Monthly and get your monthly paranormal t-shirt sent to your door. Use promo code Paranormalcy at checkout and get 10% off your first order. Tonight's shirt I am wearing... The 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident that we covered on my birthday, July 19th, 1952. Now that petroglyph right there kind of looks like Capricorn, the one on the left side above what looks like a music note. Over here? Yeah, that kind of looks like Capricorn. (laughs) And that one's uh, Saturn. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. And also HalloweenCostumes.com. Use the link in our description to give us a little bit of credit for, you know, because you like us and it helps promote our show and all that fun stuff. 
we have, we will read it next time on the next episode. We have a new uh, five-star rating. Mm. Got to remember to read that next time. Um, and also, go, make sure you rate us and review us on iTunes. I think Spotify you can rate and review now. Um, and re- rate us on anything that allows a rating. I think most of them are rating. Most of them don't allow, allow reviews anymore, though. Um, that helps us get in more people's ears. Share us with your friends and family. If you don't like us, share us with those who you don't like, because maybe they'll like us. And I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Until next time. Keep digging. Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.